It's my pleasure to open up the scriptures with you tonight. Please open to the book of Hebrews. If you're new to the Bible, Hebrews is towards the end. Uh, we've been in a series on, on the book of Hebrews for uh, a couple months. We took a break and we're, we're back in it. But uh, feel free to find your way there on the Uversion app. You can just search Hebrews. It, you'll, you'll find it. But I'm glad that we get to open the scriptures together. Uh, as we've been reading through this, this book in the Bible... We focused in on this key idea, the idea of pursuit. Pursuit. That's what, that's what this series is, is called. That's what we're focusing on. And now, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of people who had difficulty pursuing Jesus. They had difficulty pursuing him. It was most likely originally a sermon that was delivered to Christians in Rome around the first century of the Common Era. And they were struggling with social and cultural persecution for identifying themselves as followers of Jesus. These guys had stepped out of the dominant culture in their day. And in the dominant culture of the Roman world in their day, it either, it either would have been that they were, they were Jewish people who were celebrating who God was in the synagogue, and so they had stepped out of that, or they were, they were Gentiles, non-Jewish, Romans, who participated in the religious cults of the Roman Empire. This would have included sacrifices to various deities, uh, uh, emperor worship and honor, and it would have been very strange for them to step out of the majority culture and into a minority culture. If you're a follower of Jesus in some very significant ways in Denver, you're part of a minority culture. It's a little bit strange sometimes when you're a follower of Jesus. And these guys were dealing with social and cultural persecution. It's not like they knew a bunch of people who were being killed because they were followers of Jesus. It's more likely that their family stopped talking to them. Their friends thought they were odd. People wouldn't bring up certain subjects around them. They may have even lost their jobs. Some of them may have had property confiscated, and maybe they knew a few people who were put in prison for a short time because they refused to worship the emperor. But in general, it was just social outcast culture is how they felt. Now, because of that, they, they had this, the, the listeners of, to this sermon, the people who would have heard this sermon originally and who would have uh, also just read the book, they were struggling with spiritual laziness. When you're part of a minority culture and you're going against the grain of how everybody else is thinking and behaving, you feel strange and it's easy to sort of just like lapse away and to stop caring so much about identifying as a follower of Jesus. It's easy to sort of drift. It's easy to become lazy, to not do the hard work that Christian community takes. It's hard work to do that. It's, it's easy to just become lazy. And they were, because of this laziness, they were in danger of turning their backs on their commitment to Jesus. You know, it's easy to have an experience with God and to slowly drift away. Perhaps you've been there before. Maybe you've had a, a profound spiritual experience where you knew that God was present, and then you found yourself after a period of time in a really bad spot, in a place in life where you weren't really wholeheartedly following Jesus. It's easy to have that happen. It's common. And in the book of Hebrews, that was a common problem for, for the listeners uh, of, this, of this sermon. And the, the metaphor that's used to describe this is a metaphor of drifting away. And it was a nautical met metaphor. Uh, in Colorado, we don't have a lot of nautical metaphors. 
We don't have a lot of water <laughs> for people to sail on. But follow me here. The idea when, when the author would, would warn the listeners about drifting away was this idea that you're a boat that's come into a safe harbor and you forgot to tie down to a dock or you forgot to drop an anchor to hold yourself. Now, the results of this would be catastrophic. Just a simple little lapse in judgment like that where you didn't have a strong foundation, you didn't have an anchor point. The, the, the results of this would be catastrophic. A boat would slowly drift away from, from the dock, slowly drift away into the harbor, and the boat could be lost at sea. The boat could get stuck on a sandbar, or worse, get crashed into rocks, and the property would be lost. And probably even the most scary thing is that the boat could have a collision with another boat, and lives would be lost. This is the metaphor that's used to describe people in, who are listening to this, who were in danger because of their spiritual laziness. Because they were part of the minority culture, they were in danger of finding themselves crashed upon the rocks. Finding themselves in collision with the world around them, and maybe even sinking. When you feel odd because you're a follower of Jesus, it's easy to drift away. It's easy to drift away. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard if you've heard me mention him a few times, he's one of my favorites. He says this, the greatest hazard of all, losing one's self, can occur very quietly in the world, as if it were nothing at all. No other loss can occur so quietly. Any other loss, an arm, a leg, five dollars, a wife, etc., is sure to be noticed. But losing yourself is something that happens quietly. No one ever sets out to walk away from God, but it can happen slowly without you even thinking about it. And what we're going to focus on today is this, that following Jesus leads to maturity. That's the goal. You, if you follow Jesus, will become a mature follower of Jesus. But it leads to maturity, and it leads to an attitude that refuses to turn back. An attitude that diligently pursues God, through the scriptures, and through life and community. So the opposite of drifting away is pursuing God with all of who you are. And following Jesus, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, if you're going to apprentice your life to the life that Jesus lived, it's going to mean that you're going to diligently follow after him. It can't be something that you just kind of find yourself doing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to the scriptures tonight, and if you agree, just say, yeah, God, my heart is open. I'm willing to hear from you. I'm willing to listen. And God, by hearing the scriptures, we're willing to be changed by them. We're willing to hear and obey and do what you say, Lord. We give you our hearts tonight and pray that, Lord, we would be people who diligently follow after God and in so doing would grow into mature followers of Jesus. Give us that attitude of diligence, a diligent pursuit through the scriptures, and through the community. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the book of uh, Hebrews in chapter 5. So find your way over there. You can search for it, of course, uh, in the YouVersion app. Or uh, Hebrews is right before the book of James. If you're in Revelation, you've gone too far. It's about six-sevenths of the way through the Bible or so. It's around there. You can find it, um, and you can ask a neighbor to help you. And it's okay if you're new to the Bible and you don't know where it is. That's no problem. Just ask for help. So here's the context. In the preceding section, in what we've been kind of learning about and studying so far, there's this idea that 
that the author of Hebrews is focused on the identity of Jesus. Who is this man? How did he change us? And what kind of life did he live? And he focuses on a couple of key things about Jesus' life. Jesus was obedient, and Jesus was persevering. Jesus didn't give up, and he obeyed God. Even in his suffering, he obeyed God. Now, Jesus has the right title, the Son of God, and that title allows him to help us. As the Son of God, he has the power to help us, and he has the right role as well, that of high priest. If you're the high priest, you can intercede on behalf of the faithful. Jesus is both of these things, the Son of God and the high priest. And the, the, the context of the preceding passages is that we can persevere in obeying God. And if we do, we will faithfully confess Jesus as Lord. That's faithfulness, is that you confess Jesus as Lord. And your circumstances don't dictate your future and your destiny. That's probably good news just for some of you right now, that wherever you are today, that's not going to dictate where you're going. Today's reality doesn't determine your tomorrow. The finished work of Jesus on the cross determines your tomorrow. And that's good news right there. And what we're focusing on today is this. Following Jesus leads to maturity. It leads to maturity. Growing up. And it leads to an attitude that refuses to turn back but diligently pursues God through the scriptures and the community. Let's look at verse 5, or sorry, chapter 5, and verse 11 and following, and it's the word of the Lord. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So the author, the speaker right here, the one who's giving this sermon, he feels like his audience is in danger because they aren't even willing to listen. This is a key thing that I'm concerned about sometimes, is are we willing to listen to God? I think people are willing to have an experience with God. People are open. They have that kind of open-heartedness, open-mindedness to feel something spiritual. But are you willing to listen and obey? That's a key thing. People who end up making it are people who are willing to obey God. See, for these listeners, it was so much easier for them to just feel like they're part of the dominant culture, forgetting the fact that they're actually part of a minority culture, that they are a little bit different than the world around them. See, in the dominant culture, there's no stigma. If you show up at work and you act like everybody else acts, if you live your life for the weekend like everybody else does, it's just easy. There's no stigma with that. It's weird to spend all of your time and 10% of your money <laughs> on the kingdom of God, on the things that last. That's strange in our world. There's a little bit of stigma going, going with it. But these people, they're not even trying to understand who they are and what God wants for them. This is a big problem in our culture for people who have a cultural background in Christianity, but who are not really apprenticing their lives to Jesus on a daily basis. They're not thinking about, how should I live my life like Jesus right now? What would Jesus do in this scenario? 
If Jesus had the decisions to make that I'm making, what would he do? That's apprenticing your life to Jesus. This is a serious problem among American Christians, this inability or unwillingness to listen. And I would call it intellectual and spiritual laziness. Among American Christians, this is a big problem. There's probably a lot that I could say about this, but, um, but uh, the historian of religion from Notre Dame, Mark Knoll, he says it in a very helpful way. He says that the scandal of the evangelical mind is that there is not much of an evangelical mind. This is something that I've found to be true in, in my life, in, in the lives of people that I notice. That, that I, you know, I was talking to, to one of my friends at work this week, and he was saying that Christians are just not very thoughtful people a lot of times. Now, that's a pretty big, broad brush, right? There's a lot of really smart Christians out there. But there's something about what he was saying that's really true. That if somebody has a difficult question, sometimes Christians aren't really willing to engage with those questions. Let me tell you this right now. Hope Denver is a place for skeptics and questioners. I just want you to know that. If you have a question, or if you have loved ones who have questions, if they would come in here and be like, I'm not really sure about what's going on, they are welcome. Like, we, we would love to have people who are asking questions. This is, this is why we're here. But a lot of Christians, they're not even trying to understand. See, they hang their hat on spiritual experiences that they've had in the past, as opposed to diligently seeking God every day. Spiritual experiences are great, but you have to have the diligence that comes with seeking out answers and trying to understand my buddy at work was saying that as he grew up as a Christian, he knew a lot of people who were unwilling or unable to answer life's most difficult questions. But let me just say this, that's not the picture of the life of faith that you see in the Bible, and I hope this is good news. Because in the Bible, you see this picture of God himself saying to people, come and let us reason together. That's in the book of Isaiah. You see this, um, you see this in, in the writer of Hebrews himself. He says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. See, there's an aspect of the life of faith that includes knowledge and assurance and good reasons. In the book of 1 Peter, we're commanded to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. In fact, Jesus himself, a number of times in his life, appeals to logic and evidence. He tells people, hey, you should believe because you've seen miracles. And he gives argumentation for why he is who he says he is. He actually uses logical arguments a lot. I have a, a friend who teaches at Denver Seminary who wrote a book called On Jesus. His name is Douglas Grotheis. I'm putting it up here so you can write that down and go get this book. There's a whole chapter in this book on Jesus' use of argument, which I find to be incredibly helpful. Just another quick plug for that book. There's another chapter on Jesus' view of women. Spoiler alert, it's positive. <laughs> it's a good book, so I recommend that to you. But what you see throughout the Christian worldview is this idea that we should be asking diligent questions. People who are unwilling to listen, unwilling to understand, unwilling to ask those questions, they're in danger of drifting away. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying that these people aren't even trying to understand. He's saying that, that you need, if, you're, if you're a seeker or if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you need to be somebody who tries to understand, who's diligently seeking knowledge. This means reading the Bible. And it means reading books that help you to understand what you're reading when you are reading the Bible. 
I would recommend the NIV Study Bible. If you find the Bible to be a little bit strange to you, you're in good company. It's an old document. The NIV Study Bible can help you to understand what you're reading. There's also another, a, a two-volume set called the IVP Bible Background Commentaries, and it focuses on the history and the culture behind most of the biblical passages. Incredibly helpful things. Be somebody who diligently seeks out answers. Don't let yourself be satisfied with just know that you know and you're knower and just believe. That's not, that's not the way that it works in God's family. In God's family, we diligently seek the truth. That's what it means. The problem is, is that these people who are listening to the writer of Hebrews, they're worried about the shame that comes along with being identified as a follower of Jesus. And so what he's doing here, he's actually appealing to that same sense of shame. Did you notice this? He was saying, you should be ready for meat by now, but you're stuck on the milk. You should be farther along than this. He actually is trying to like push them a little bit by saying, you really should be further along than this. I'm not in a place to set myself up in judgment over any of you, but my guess is that that might ring true for some of you today. Or maybe there's a sense that I, I have a little bit more growing to do. Maybe it's time for me to grow up a little bit. I'm not here to judge you for that, but it's time to get serious about it. So the author here, he's telling us that you can and should persevere. It's part of what it means to pattern your life after Jesus. And why, why that is so is that Jesus persevered. He persevered to the cross. It was difficult for him to do what he did, to die for you and for me. So if he did it, you can do it. You can persevere as well. And he says about these people who are listening to him, he says, you should have been able to teach, but you still need to be taught. Now, not everyone is called to preach in a church like what I'm doing right now, but did you know that Everybody in this room and everybody who's not in this room that God wants you to be open and willing to be able to start teaching at some point Did you know that that this is something that all of us are called to do? We're supposed to be willing and able to teach Ready to understand what the Bible says and to be able to explain it to other people And maybe your teaching ministry won't be at the front of a room But it would be side by side one of your friends or a family member Explaining what the Bible means to them but you can't do that if you're not even willing to listen yourself, is what he's saying. See, Hope Denver, here we have a, we have a small groups model. Uh, those of you who, who uh, have been around for, for a little bit, you'll know this. But if you don't, I want to invite you to this, that small groups are a major part of what we do at Hope Denver. We don't have a lot of programming and events. We have small groups. And uh, we had seven small groups in this last fall. It was a lot of fun. But our goal is not for everybody to just join a small group. Our goal is for you to start small groups and for you to lead them. <laughs> and that might sound a little crazy and intimidating to you today, and that's okay. Sit in on a small group this next year, and then next semester, maybe try to teach one. Co-teach it with somebody else. Push yourself. We want, we want to have 100 small groups in the city of Denver. That sounds crazy, and I know that's crazy, but God does crazy things. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> There are kids church, or kids church teachers in this room. Anybody ever taught in kids church around here before? Can we give these guys a hand? These guys are the best. Thank you so much. Thank you for kids teachers. I love kids teachers. My kids love going to class with you. Thank you very much. There's people in this room that today you don't think this is possible, 
But if you're going to diligently follow Jesus, you're going to be teaching and explaining, defending and commending the Christian perspective on reality to people who have no idea what you're talking about. And you're going to do it with gentleness and respect. I'm speaking that over your life through the power of God in Jesus' name. Let that be so. Okay, let's look at verse, or chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be, and, and be taken toward maturity. That's the goal. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. What he says is that being taken forward to maturity is the goal. Remember, these are people that are in danger of just subtly falling away. He's not saying that he's really worried that they're going to be like, nope, I don't, I don't believe in Jesus. He's not really worried about that. He's worried about kind of a subtle following away. So you need to have the goal in mind, and it's maturity. It's easy to just fit into the majority culture. So don't do that, but, but press on toward maturity. The idea, in when he says maturity, when he talks about that in here, he's developing this idea that's found earlier in the book of, the, of, of salvation being something that happens in the future. And these people have a goal toward heaven. And now, in the Christian perspective on reality, we believe that heaven is actually coming to earth, that God is redeeming all of the world around us. But this idea in the book of Hebrews is that you are on a journey toward the presence of God in heaven when heaven comes to earth. These people have a different kind of calling. See, they believed that Jesus, they believed um, that in Jesus, God was beginning to remake the earth. He was starting to bring his wholeness and healing to the broken world. And they were called to participate in this. And the culmination would be when they entered into the eternal rest that they had with Jesus by being faithful to him. And we'll see this more as we move throughout the passage. But the author talks about salvation as kind of a future-oriented thing in this, in this book. But the opposite of this, the opposite of that kind of diligent following after God would be a slow drifting. The opposite of diligently following would be this slow drifting. And what he says that you need to avoid the slow drift is to have a strong foundation. That's what you need. He says these people should have moved beyond already the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death. This, this was him saying that they've already left their lives of idol worship. He's saying, you've already turned your backs on this. You should know better about this kind of thing. So we should be able to move beyond this, this distancing ourselves from the majority culture with its idols. See, this is important because in our culture, see, we're the minority culture in this majority culture. In, in Denver, the idols are making a lot of money. They're having the right status. Having people think that you look cool. It's your physical appearance. And a big idol is having fun. I'll let that sink in for a minute. That's a big idol in Denver, is living to have fun. And he's saying we need to move beyond this. It's easy to just drift away from your commitment to Jesus and to start to subtly embrace these other idols again. And he says that we need to move beyond a simple understanding of instructions about cleansing rites. This would refer to baptism. The idea that these people had made a confession of faith in Jesus and had been initiated into the Christian community by being dunked in water. Now, baptism is important. They needed to understand what this meant because baptism means that you actually die to your old way of living, and that's what symbolizes uh, what is symbolized by going under the water. 
and that all the, the old ways of the majority culture are no longer part of who you are. You've died to it, but that you've been raised up to a completely new way of life. And the image is that the water is cleansing. Just as God cleanses you of your sin, the water cleanses you. And these people needed to be aware of what they did when they baptized, that their old way of thinking was not how they're supposed to think anymore. Their old way of spending their time and their money was not how they're supposed to do it anymore. He says, he says you need to live a new kind of life. And he says that they can move beyond the simple teaching about the laying on of hands. This is referring to the idea that the Holy Spirit lives in each of God's followers. And Christians have always practiced that by the laying on of hands, there's, there's this recognition that just as the Holy Spirit lives in me, when I touch somebody else, the Holy Spirit lives in them if they confess faith in Jesus. He says, you don't need to be taught this again and again. Now, uh, he says, you also need to move beyond simple teachings about the resurrection of the dead. This idea that death is not the end of the story, that's good news. This, you need to move beyond simple teachings about the eternal judgment. This promise that God is remaking and, and healing the earth. And he's going to include in it a perfect and restorative justice. See, he hopes that these followers of Jesus that are listening to this sermon will be able to move beyond those teachings. Now, if you're not in a place where you understand a lot of those things, that's okay. I'm not, I don't want to put the pressure on with that. But you should know that there's a goal in all of this. And it's not really about you. <laughs> the goal is the glory of God. The goal is loving and serving Jesus being conformed into his image and seeing him change the world and partnering with him in doing that. See, the call in the book of Hebrews is to pursue God. And if you're pursuing God, you're in good shape. But what happens if you're not pursuing God? Let's look at verse 4. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now this right here, my friends, is one of the most disputed passages in all of the Bible. So pray for me right now as I do this. It seems that this, this author is saying, the speaker of this sermon, he's saying that there could be people who had some kind of closeness to God who could fall away and reject their connection to God. That they could have known who God is and having fallen away, at some point make a decision to reject who God is. Now, who is he talking about? Who are these people? They've been enlightened, is what it says. I don't know if you noticed that word in there. This idea of enlightenment probably means that they heard and understood and received the message of who Jesus is and that Jesus is redeeming the world. So they understood it. They knew the truth about who God is and what his plans are. It says that these people had tasted the heavenly gift and they had shared in the Holy Spirit. They've received God in a very personal way. That's not just that they had intellectual assent to the idea that God exists, but they had had some kind of personal connection with God through the Holy Spirit. And that they had heard, they heard uh, the, the word of God in the scriptures, and they had real communion with God's Holy Spirit. It says that they, they, they've seen what God can do by witnessing God's power, 
Perhaps they had seen people who were hopeless start to have hope in their life again. Perhaps they had seen people who needed a miracle and God healed them or touched them or there was some other sign of God's power that they had witnessed. And it said that they had received these gifts from God. And it says if you, if you were that kind of person who had received these kinds of gifts and at some point you come to reject God, you cannot turn back again. That's what it seems to be saying. If you have received God's generosity in these ways, it seems like you can't, you can't have received God's generosity and then reject him and then later on decide to turn back to him. That seems to be what it's saying. Now, when it says drift away, it, it seems to be speaking about, again, this slow drifting away that has this culminating moment in a decision to reject Jesus. A moment like that might have looked something like this. Somebody has had a strong experience with God and the community of God's people. And they started to call themselves a follower of Jesus. They repented of their sins. Repented just means turning away, and they turned towards God. They repented of their sins, and they were probably baptized as a kind of initiation into the community. Somebody like this might have started to learn and appreciate the scriptures. They started to learn from them and understand them, and they started to pray about it with the Christian community around them. They would have proclaimed their love to God in worship, and they would have desired to learn more about who God is. And then, because of the social derision that comes along with being a part of a minority culture, they start to drift away. Maybe because of how their family treats them. Maybe it's because at, at work, somebody, somebody thinks that they're, that they're strange. Maybe they even lost their job or had some property confiscated because someone ta was taking advantage of them as a minority but they started to slowly drift away. It started to be difficult. They stopped participating in religious ceremonies. Their families, because they were excluding them, they started to waffle a little bit on their commitment to Jesus. Maybe they stopped reading the scriptures. They slowly started to disassociate from the Christian community. They didn't attend worship gatherings, and maybe they even started to worship idols again. And eventually, a moment would have come when they would have said, God, I know who you are, but this is too hard. I'm not going to do it. I'm rejecting you. And maybe they even did it publicly. They renounced their faith in Jesus. They knew that Jesus is really God, but they denied their previous beliefs and renounced their faith. The author of this book, he's not necessarily saying that there are a lot of people among the, the listeners that he's talking to. He's not saying that there are a lot of people who've actually done this. But he's warning listeners in this book. He's warning them. He's saying, don't drift away. Because if you come to this point where you reject God, there's not grace for you to publicly shame him by trying to come back again. You'd be bringing disgrace on Jesus with this kind of public mockery. And he illustrates it with a metaphor. Look at verse 7. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. It's saying that if you stay true to your commitment to Jesus, you're going to produce fruit. Your life will be fruitful. People will be able to see that you're different. And you, in your pursuit of God, will have joy even in your suffering. You'll have a connection to God and an eternal future. 
But if you renounce your commitment to Jesus, your life will only produce thorns and thistles. The things that you try to do, you'll fail at, and you won't have fulfillment and joy. In your suffering, you will have just that, suffering. And if you try to turn yourself into something that you're not, and try to pretend that you are fruitful by turning back to Jesus, you are publicly shaming the farmer that diligently curated your life. That's what this seems to be saying right here. Now, I want to just talk about the salvation issue really quickly, because for some of you, if you've, if you've read the Bible before, there might be some questions coming into your mind right now that I'd just like to address a little bit. The salvation issue. For some people, they want this passage to say a lot more than it actually does. Okay? That's a common problem among theologians, that sometimes we like the Bible to say more than, than it actually says. Uh, they want this passage to be the answer to the question, can you reject your salvation? They want the, this passage to answer that question. Can you be saved by Jesus and later reject Jesus? It seems like this passage would actually say yes to that question. It's possible. But it's important to also see what the author of Hebrews means when he talks about salvation. See, a lot of times we think of salvation as something that's happened in our past. Maybe you, you've, you've decided to follow Jesus and you might have used the terminology, I'm saved, to describe what had happened to you. And it's something that happened in your past. And that's true, and that's biblical. But for the author of Hebrews, he's adding a different element of what that means. He's thinking about salvation as something that happens in the future. Through diligent pursuing of God, you'll be saved at the last day, is what he seems to be saying. That doesn't mean he doesn't believe that salvation happens in your past, by the way. It just means that he's not talking about that. He's talking about something that's future-oriented. He's saying that, that, that when you persevere in your commitment to Jesus, at the end of your life, you'll receive this eternal rest. Now, in other books in the Bible, salvation is talked about as a past and present reality. If you read Ephesians and Romans, it talks about salvation as if it's something that God does in a moment, and you are made right before God. You turn to Jesus, and your soul is made right before God. You're able to enter into his presence, and God slowly transforms you every day. That's true, and that's biblical. It's just not in the book of Hebrews. It's not what this guy's talking about right here. See, in Hebrews, salvation is more of a future issue. So in this passage, he's talking about how you per persevere in your commitment to Jesus toward the future. He's saying you can't mock Jesus by accepting him and later rejecting him. You can't do that. Jesus won't allow it. You can't mock him that way. He won't be disgraced by mockers. Now, a helpful thing to keep in mind, and this may be helpful for you, is that the Bible says that God is like a shepherd. And God's the kind of shepherd that loves and cares for his sheep so well that when one of them starts to drift, he'll leave 99 of them where they are and go after the one. That's important to keep that in mind when we're thinking about this passage. That God's not the kind of God who willy-nilly just lets you drift if you want to. God diligently pursues his people. And he's doing that for you. And maybe he's even doing it right now. Maybe today's a little bit of a wake-up call for you. And that's God saying, come back. See, God's not the kind of God who, who wants you to end up in a situation where all of a sudden, oh my gosh, I don't love Jesus anymore. He's diligently seeking after you so that that won't happen to you. 
what the authors, uh, the author would agree with that here, actually. Uh, and, and maybe that would be good news for you. Because maybe you felt judged by Christians before. Like you're not the real deal. You're not like a real Christian. But that's not what we do. <laughs> that's not what we should do anyway. Of course, Christians do that. The where you are with God question is something that God judges with you. It's not something that the community does. In fact, the practice of the Christian community has always been that if somebody has drifted away and they're coming back to God, they are accepted in the community with open arms. And there have been Christians who've done a bad job of this, but let me tell you, that's the rule of faith that the churches have practiced since the time of Jesus. If you fall away, you are welcome back, and you have to deal with God on your own, but you can do it in the context of a community that loves you and accepts you. You don't have to believe all the right things today to be part of the community of God. You don't have to have it all figured out and say like, hey, I know exactly what this whole following Jesus with my whole life entails. You don't have to know all that. You just have to have a heart that's willing to come back, and the Christian community will welcome you back. That's important. God wants you here, and so do we. And a good question to ask is that if, you, if, you're, if you're actually worried about having rejected your salvation, you probably haven't. <laughs> it's a good thing to keep in mind. If that's concerning for you, I don't think this passage even applies to you. See, someone who would have mocked Jesus in the way that this author is describing here would have made a more of a once-for-all rejection of God, a decision that they wouldn't really turn back on. And if you're, if you're worried about where you are with God in this moment right now, just turn back to him. Say, God, I'm coming back. And he'll accept you like that shepherd who goes after the one and leaves the 99. The Bible says that if you ask God to forgive you of your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And my friends, that's really good news. Let's look at verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. See, the author doesn't even think that that previous warning really applies to his listeners. He's saying that the, you're people who have diligently loved God and served people before. You've helped one another as you've loved God. But you are in danger of drifting. I don't think you're going to drift away, is what he says. I don't think you're going to drift away completely, but you're in danger. So you need to be reminded to stay diligent in your pursuit of God. Don't give up in serving others. See, that's what we're about at Hope Denver. We're a community that exists to encounter God together to show the hope of Jesus to the people of Denver through encountering God, belonging in community, and serving others. Don't give up, friends, on serving others. Live a life of service. It's not about you. Life is not about what you want or what makes you happy. It's about giving your life in service of others. This is what Jesus did. If you're an apprentice of Jesus, you're becoming more and more of a servant every day. So don't give up on that. You need to say to God, I'm in. I'm here. I'm all in. I belong with you. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up on my commitment. I'm going to stick with it. I'd like to have the keys up, and please stand, everyone, if you would.
Let's look at verse 12 again. Let's look at verse 12. It says, We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. See, there's a danger to find ourselves like that boat that never dropped an anchor, that never tied into the dock. There's a real danger for us, friends. It's far too easy to lose your soul in this world as if it was nothing at all. It can just happen quietly. It's easy to drift along, trying to make money, trying to establish a life, maybe even trying to find romance, trying to, to establish a career, to go through the motions of life with ever, without ever tying on to something that's lasting, something that will keep you where you ought to be. The author says to those of us who are in this situation, and we're in this situation, we're in a minority culture here in Denver, don't become lazy. Don't become lazy. Don't give up. Instead, become patient and faithful. Imitate people that you know who are faithful. Follow diligently after Jesus. See, the life of faith says no to the self and yes to God. The life of faith says no to superficiality and yes to beauty. The life of faith says no to selfishness and yes to generosity. The life of faith says no to laziness and yes to diligence. Faith says, I'm not going to be a mindless wanderer. I'm not going to have this party lifestyle. I'm going to have the life of the mind, and I'm going to have a lifestyle of hospitality. Today's a day, friends, for us to renew our commitment to Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we renew our commitment to you right now. If you agree with that, just say that to him. I'm turning back to you. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to follow after you. Strengthen me so that I can be diligent. Give me faith and patience, God. Help me to follow wholeheartedly after you. If you agree with that, just say, God, I, I want to turn back. I want to turn away from, from embracing the things that I want, from going after what the cultural around, culture around me tells me what I ought to do. I'm going to turn away from those things, and I'm going to turn to you. Some of you need to turn away from the party lifestyle. Some of you need to turn away from the lifestyle of the mindless wanderer. And today, there's a God who loves you, who has open arms for you. Open up your heart to him. Maybe you even want to open up your hands in front of him. Let's do that together, friends. And just say, God, you're opening your heart to me. I'm opening my heart to you. Go ahead and open up your hands in front of him. Say, God, I'm open to you. I receive you. And I'm not going to be like the culture that's lazy around me. I'm going to be diligent in following hard after you. We're open to you right now. And I, I feel like what God would say in this moment is just receive the fact that he loves you. He loves you, sister. He loves you, brother. Just feel that right now, that God loves you and accepts you. There's no judgment before a father when the child's reaching up saying, Daddy, hold me. <laughs> father's not, good father's not like that. Receive his love right now. 
And I just want to give you one final challenge. You can put your hands down and just would you mind looking at me for just a moment. I want to ask you a question. Is there somebody in your life that you can imitate? Somebody who's doing this right? The, the challenge in this passage is to imitate those who have faith and patience. Do you know somebody? If not, I could introduce you to a few of my friends. <laughs> but if you do, think about the way they live their lives and pattern yourself after some of those things that are good. Imitate Jesus, who did this perfectly. This can be a powerful way to follow Jesus, is to start to imitate people who are doing it right. And I want to give you another challenge. Work hard at your job this week. I felt like God told me to tell that to you. I don't really know if, who that is for, but work hard this week. Do a good job at work. Something that can come along with being part of a minority culture is that you're working against a stigma. Be the best employee you can be this week. Work hard. Give your best to your loved ones this week. Don't give them the second best. Give them your full attention. Put your device down and talk to them and love them and hug them. Look them in the eye and tell them that you love them. Show mercy to those who are suffering. Read and obey God's word this week. Commit yourself to the community of God's people. Maybe that's been a little shaky. That's okay. Commit yourself. I'm going to be part of a family. I'm going to be part of a church. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is something that all you have to do every day is say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your presence. That's something you can pray tomorrow. Pray it right now if you want to. Fill me with your presence. And receive the love of Jesus, friends. Receive the love of Jesus who says that your future is not built upon your ability to earn. Your future is not built upon your ability to perform or to look good. Your, your, your future is not built upon your ability to have all of the answers. Your future is built on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is good news. Who you are today and who you're going to be tomorrow and the salvation that you'll receive at the end of your life these are built on things that Jesus has already done. He's fought the battle for you and won it. So receive that salvation in Jesus' name. May Jesus be your master this week. Now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Lord, would you bless your children with a wholehearted commitment to Jesus, with the will to persevere in following God, the joy of obedience even in their suffering. And may we be people who imitate those who through faith and patience have inherited the promises of God. May we have minds and hearts that are open to hearing from Jesus. And may we, may we be filled with every spiritual benediction and grace to the glory of God in whose name we pray. Amen.